That was John chapter 8, verses 31 through 54. The video that we just watched was a visual depiction of the scripture we're going to be studying today. And what I want to focus on is that Jesus makes several very important statements during this moment of teaching in the temple of Jerusalem. Now, I personally, I love the Gospel of John. I read it all the time. And when I was studying for this, uh, ver the sermon this week, I decided to use one of my Bible program's features. It's called the Propositional Outline. And it organizes a scripture in a way that um, puts a truth and then the explanation. And it's kind of like outlining a sentence in school. If you guys remember way back then when you were in English class and you had to outline... Uh, sentences and all that. It's the way it does it. And I saw something pop out that I thought was very fascinating. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. Jesus makes several conditional statements throughout this whole narrative that concerns both our spiritual and health and our spiritual growth. And let me unwrap that a little bit. A spiritual statement is one that puts forth a cause and then an effect. For example, if you choose to walk in the rain, what's going to happen? You're going to get wet. There is a cause and then there is effect. Another example is if you choose to eat really spicy foreign food, you may get an upset stomach. Then you may become very acquainted with your bathroom. It's, a, it's, it's the law of cause and effect. The Bible calls this the law of sowing and reaping. The Apostle Paul tells us about it in Galatians chapter 6 when he said, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now I shouldn't really have to explain that much because we live in an agricultural community what sowing and reaping really is because we are surrounded by it where we live. But just in case you haven't gardened, you haven't lived on a farm, let me just go through the basics. For example, the Bible uses the example of a mustard seed. If you plant a mustard seed, you should expect to get a mustard plant out of it, right? Same way if you plant a tomato vine. You're going to get tomatoes eventually sprout and, and hang there off of your vines. On the opposite of that, you can't get a cucumber if you plant beans. Nor can you get corn if you're planting potatoes. You're going to gain a harvest by whatever you plant, by whatever you focus on, by whatever you take care of the most. And what's true in the physical realm when it comes to gardening and farming is also true in the spiritual realm. And that's what Jesus is showing us in this section of Scripture. By repeating the word if several times in this part of John's Gospel, Jesus is also talking about the things that we do or that we don't do that affect our spiritual health and our spiritual growth. And you can spot these spiritual truths in this section of Scripture by looking for that word if. So today we're going to look at the six ifs of spiritual growth that Jesus teaches us here in John chapter 8. These are six choices that we make that are either going to help us to grow in God or inhibit the move of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And when the move of the Holy Spirit is inhibited in our lives, it, it reduces God's ability to bless us, to grow us, or to use us in His kingdom. These six ifs 
will also determine what reward we get when we stand before Jesus someday to give an account for the lives that he has given us and what we did with his salvation. Let's start with praying that God's going to bless our efforts as we look toward these ifs this morning. Father God, the Bible is full of conditional statements. And they're very easy to understand, but not so easy to implement in our life. So I ask, Father, as we go into this this morning, that your Holy Spirit can do a special work within our hearts, that the truth that will be proclaimed will go deep, deep inside our hearts, that it will challenge the thoughts and attitudes that we have, and will bring about a change that will be very pleasing to you and be very beneficial toward your kingdom. God, I ask this in your name. Amen. So the first if we're going to look at this morning is the if of discipleship. In John 8.31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the first spiritual if is that of discipleship. And in the church, we throw around these words like discipleship and disciple or being a follower of Jesus. That's kind of the vogue, being a Jesus follower now instead of saying I'm a disciple. But what I really think what we've lost is what actually being a disciple means. If you look at the first 12 men to follow after Jesus, look at everything they gave up. If you consider just Matthew, Matthew gave up a very lucrative business to become a poor itinerant wanderer with Jesus following this guy that everybody, that half the people hated and he's and like we saw in the movie a moment ago a whole lot of people wanted him dead you consider James and Peter and John they all left a very lucrative fishing business to follow after Jesus Andrew was also a businessman left everything behind every single one of the apostles with exception of John eventually ended up giving their very life to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This has become very lost in our world today. I was challenged several years ago, and I, 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 I think I shared this before, but I was listening to a sermon about the testimony of the superintendent of God in Vietnam, um, the superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Vietnam. And his name was Paul Lai. Paul Lai spent the majority of his life in prison proclaiming the word of God to the people of Vietnam. As a matter of fact, within the um, Asian cultures where there's a lot of totalitarianism and a lot of uh, dictatorships and a lot of oppression, you can't even become a pastor or a minister of the gospel unless you spend at least four years in prison for the gospel. As a matter of fact, many of the Bible students there will get arrested, not on purpose. I mean, they're not looking out and saying, hey, I'm a Christian, arrest me. But they will get arrested and they will be in tears and people will think, you know, they're crying because they know they're going to go to prison. It's tears of joy because now they can be ordained. That's a definite um, switch and a definite um, kind of a sock in the face to what we have here in America, isn't it? Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means you give your whole life over to him. It means you leave behind the old life. It means you leave behind the old ways. It means you give your life to something or someone 
in particular Jesus, who is greater. Jesus said, if you are my disciples, then you will know the truth. And then the truth will set you free. It's a conditional statement. You have to be his disciple. Too many of us want something without having to do the condition required to get it. Too many of us blame God for our problems. But what they fail to realize is that life choices you've made are simply following the law of sowing and reaping. You sowed to the wrong thing and you reaped destruction. And that brings us to the second if. And that is the if of freedom. In John 8.36 it says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. As I said a moment ago about the law of sowing and reaping, most of the problems we have in our life are because we've sown to the wrong things. And people are saved by God in many, many glorious ways. Some people are saved out of sinful situations that you think there is no way they could ever change. When I got saved, God... Like It was like a light switch went on and God immediately took um, a whole lot of things away from me. But there are other things that were a little bit thick, uh, deeper. When I got saved, my, my friend Kevin knew by lunch that I had gotten saved. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't know what to say. I just knew the night before I was sitting out on my porch smoking a cigarette and gave my heart to Jesus. I just said, God, I've messed up my life. I'm about to mess up my kid's life. I'm about to mess up my girlfriend's life. Even worse, I need you to take over. I, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I give you my life. And the next day, God, um, God had so changed me, and I didn't even realize it. And lunch, my friend Kevin said, did you get saved or something? And he had been leading me to Christ for months, or trying to lead me to Christ for months. And I said, why do you ask? He said, well, you haven't cussed once, and you haven't gone out to smoke yet. I said, I didn't even think about it. I had a pack of cigarettes in my pocket. I didn't even think about it. I was like, I have no desire to smoke anymore. I, haven't, I, I said, I don't know. I, I, I said about the cussing, I wasn't even thinking about it. I just, it's just not flying out of my mouth like it used to. And he goes, yep, Jesus changed your heart. It's out of the overflow of the heart. Does the mouth speak, and your heart got changed. So now you're not cussing. It doesn't always happen like that with everybody, but God can do that kind of stuff and set us free from these kind of things if we just get, when we give our heart over to Him. That's why if the Son sets you free, you can be free indeed. Now, in some cases, Jesus wipes out both the earthly and spiritual consequences of our sin at the same time. And many of us, like I just did, can testify about the different ways that Jesus saves a person from spiritual death and then wipes out a lot of the earthly consequences of that sin. And it, but it's not a guarantee for everybody. God grows us and shapes us and molds us as individuals and not always as a part of a corporate group when it comes to our personal salvation. That's why the Apostle Paul implores us in Romans 8.33. He says, Sin shall not have dominion. That word dominion in the Bible means a ruling control over you. It means like it's a taskmaster with a whip standing right over the top of you, going to smack you if you don't do what it wants you to do. So sin shall not have dominion over you, or not have a dominion over you. You are not under law, but under grace. Paul is saying here that if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, there's no way for sin to have dominion over you 
unless you let it. You have to give, after you become saved, you have to give sin permission to enter into your life because you have a new power source within you. You have to almost physically and mentally unplug from God and go over here and plug back into the flesh in order for you to have the desire for sin anymore. And that's when the law of sowing and reaping goes into its negative consequences. And then it affects your life in a negative way. But that's not the abundant life that Jesus wants for you. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's why we have to live that life of continual repentance. It's not just a one-time thing. It's something that occurs throughout your whole life. Moment by moment, day by day. If you remember the Lord's Prayer, we are to ask for God for forgiveness from our sins daily, if not hourly or every moment of every day whenever our thought lives start to go in the wrong direction. God, grab hold of that for me and drag me back to the cross. Living in repentance is the key to freedom because sinful thoughts, sinful desires, and sinful actions constantly bombard us in this day that we live in today. So I would ask you, are you free today? Are you living in the freedom that Christ wants to give you? Well, if not, I would ask, are you his disciple? Because if you are free, then you are free. If the Son has set you free, you're free indeed, if you believe it. And that brings us to the third if of spiritual growth. And the third if is of service. In John 8.39, Jesus said, If you were Abraham's children, then you would do as Abraham did. In other words, there's a direct link between what we do for the kingdom and spiritual growth. And I'm not talking about works-based salvation. I'm not talking about working your way into heaven. Jesus Christ did all the work to pay for our sins and win us back to God. What I'm talking about is how your spiritual growth is intrinsically tied for the, to the work that you do for him on earth. Let me give you a little bit of an example. I've actually known several people over the years that have actually gone to school to become paramedics. They go through the training, they go through their clinical time, they go through their ride time, they go, they challenge the National Registry, they, get, they pass the National Registry, they apply for their state uh, license, they get their state license, but then they never get in an ambulance. They never actually practice as a paramedic. But if you ask them, and they say, hey, are you a paramedic? Because they'll usually wear the coat, they'll have the patch on. Oh, you're a paramedic? What ambulance service are you on? Well, I don't actually work as a paramedic. Oh, do you volunteer somewhere? Well, no, I'm not really, you know, volunteering. I'm not really working as a paramedic. Well, wait a minute. You, you're saying you're wearing a paramedic patch and you have a big star of life on your coat and all this kind of stuff and you're not, a, and you're not doing anything as a paramedic? And they're like, no, but I'm, a, I'm still a paramedic though. Well, that's kind of how a lot of Christians treat their salvation. They'll want to insist that they be known as a Christian, but they don't want to do anything and work and prove it to the world that they are doing the job that God has given them. The Bible has a word for that. And that word is hypocrite. One of the languages of the Bible that the Bible was written in is the Greek language. And the Greek language, or the Greek word for hypocrite, 
literally means an actor performing a role. It's a Greek word, Hippocrates. And by definition, an actor is not what they portray on stage and screen, are they? And if a guy goes and, and plays Batman on the screen, he's not really Batman, he's just playing a role. And when the show is over, they take off the costumes, they take off the makeup, they take off all that stuff, and they go back to being who they really are. And the same thing happens to us spiritually when we use the title of Christian, but we don't want to do anything to see the kingdom grow or prosper. It's like we act a part in church, but then as soon as we get into our, the car, we take off the costume, we take off the spiritual makeup, and we go right back to living the way we want to live when we go home. And that's the challenge of the if of service. Are you actually a disciple of Jesus? And if so, what are you doing to see the name of Jesus made famous in your families, in your workplaces, or in your community? And that leaves us with the fourth if of spiritual growth. And that is the if of sonship. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I did not come on my own. God sent me. You know, there's an amazing truth that is hard for me to comprehend. Maybe it's because I, I came from a very broken family. So this, the idea of family is, 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 isn't as, as fixed in my brain as most people. And that's why this blows my mind, is that not only has Jesus paid for my sin, not only does his blood cleanse me, from all of my unrighteousness. Not only did he send his Holy Spirit to live in me, not only is he going and preparing a place for me in heaven, but he made me an actual son of God. That's an incredible thought, that you, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, are a son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's an incredible thought. That would be like if I... If I decided to go and break into somebody's house and kill a man's entire family, if that man decided to come into the prison, take my place in the prison cell, and then give me everything he has, that is exactly what Jesus did for us. He took our place. He became sin so, for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. Jesus did it all. It's all to him I owe. Sin left that crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. He gave me his name and he adopted me into this child, into the family of God. You know, several years ago, the news kept talking about the credit crisis in this country. That so many people are living beyond their financial need and being suffocated under a huge amount of credit card debt. Because, and they believe that this major financial crisis would eventually cripple our economy because people just couldn't get out of debt. But the irony is, is that the same Christians that might be buried under this financial debt do the opposite spiritually. You and I are children of the King of Kings. We have all the riches and wealth in the universe as sons or daughters of God. And yet we're spiritually starving to death while sitting at a banquet table filled with every kind of food we could ever want. But we won't reach out and take it because of a lack of faith 
Or because we love the things of this earth too much that we don't want to eat what's on God's table. This morning, if you feel like you're alone, or you're starving to death spiritually, or just not growing in the things of God, I would ask you the questions. Are you his disciple? Are you living in the freedom that he offers you? Are you actively serving in his kingdom? Are you seeing yourself as the Bible describes you as a son and daughter of God himself? And if you can't answer yes to all these, then this is where you need to exercise faith and be obedient to God's word. Jesus didn't give us all these truths because he needed to fill some space in the Bible. Jesus gave us these truths so that we can have life and have life more abundantly, especially more abundantly than those who live in rebellion to God. And that leads us to the fifth if of spiritual growth, and that is the if of responsibility. In John 8.46, Jesus said, Can any one of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. When you're going into school to earn a degree that is preparing to enter you into a field that is one of the more respected occupations in our culture, one of the first chapters you'll read in your textbook is usually about the ethics and responsibilities and the the honor code, if you want to put it that way, related to the job you're training for. I have my old paramedic textbook, like second edition of all the paramedic textbooks. That's just how long I've been doing this. And I actually opened it up when I was preparing for the message this week. And the first chapter, yep, it was all about the ethics and responsibilities of carrying the name paramedic into the community. It talked about being honest and fair and unbiased, unprejudiced, and treating every patient with respect and dignity and honesty. Most of you know I'm studying and starting nursing school this fall, and I looked it up at work the other day because we have a lot of general nursing books laying around. One of the first chapters there, again, dealing with the ethics and responsibilities of being a nurse. I also looked up to see what America looks at as its most trusted professions. In 2017, Gallup Poll still had as the most trusted professional in America today was that of nurse. A nurse is the most trusted professional in America. Looking at that same Gallup poll, I was saddened to see that clergy was number nine on the list. That even a daycare provider scored higher than we did. If that's true in America's pulpits, it should not be any wonder to us why that's true in many of our churches today. So I want to remind you this morning that when you chose Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you took upon yourself a responsibility to accurately show the world the character of the one that you believe. My friends, we have to do better. We must do better. Jesus is worthy of our best. He gave everything. He deserves to receive back what he has given to us. And that is an accurate testimony of who he is in the world so that we can live our lives and treat others as he would treat them. That's the responsibility you and I took on us ourselves when we became Christians. We took the name of Christ himself upon us. So we have a responsibility to show the world 
what Jesus Christ looks like and who he is by how we love other people. So I ask you this morning, if you are his disciple, if Jesus has set you free, if you are serving in his kingdom, if you are living as a son and daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, if you are accurately representing the character and love of Jesus to the world, then you can have the final if. And that is the if of assurance. John 8.51 Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will not see death. This is a conditional statement. You have to obey his word. And the reason why so many of us in the church live far beneath the privilege that we have as sons and daughters of God is because of fear, doubt, and unbelief that we believe this world has something that Jesus is holding back from us. There is nothing this world can give us that will match the awesomeness of Jesus living in our hearts. However, we can put these if statements of Jesus into action if we can do this, if we can put these into action regarding how we live and grow and let God work out our salvation with fear and trembling, then we will have this assurance that God loves us, that God wants to use us, that God is going to reward us, and that someday we'll hear the words as we cross the finish line into heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So I'd ask you this morning, do you need that assurance today? Does the road just seem so long? Does it just seem like you've been doing this for years and years and nothing is happening? Well, this message is for you. You need this reassurance today. Father God, these are one of those hard sayings of Jesus, one of the, the ones that we read and we question if we've ever actually given our hearts to them. And Father I ask, Lord, that you would just do some surgery on us this morning, that, you would, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to have free access to our hearts to ask the question, are we living for Christ? Are we really your disciple? Are we living in the freedom that comes from accepting the gospel message? Are we doing something to serve you, Jesus? Have we claimed the son and daughtership of God? Are we accurately portraying that and taking seriously our responsibilities before the world? Because, Lord, in these last days, we all need the assurance that you're there. We need the assurance that your hand is guiding us. We need your assurance that you are protecting us. And we need the assurance that you're leading us on a path that is for our best and for the glory of your kingdom. Lord, our lives are a speck. They're a dash. A billion, billion years from now, we're still going to be alive. We won't even remember even this message that's being preached this morning. But what we will know is the joy of the Lord and the reward that you can rewards that you'll continually pour upon us there. That will be even more glorious. 
if we take these if statements of Jesus and apply them to our lives today. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the hard words of Jesus. Words that infuriated the people when he first spoke them. Words that that made them pick up rocks to stone him with. Especially the statement when he said, Before Abraham was born, I am. He took upon your name and put it upon himself. I am. Lord God, we have that privilege also as sons and daughters of the king to wear your name. Help us to wear it in such a way that proclaims the goodness of God to this community and spreads about the fragrance and the love of Christ in every interaction we will have. Father, I just bless your people now. I pray, Father, that you use them as servants of your kingdom and ambassadors of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, I ask this in your name. Amen.